Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today on the podcast, we are going to be exploring what is and how do I create a birth plan? My guest today is Jana Lee. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to kind of talk about this um, and see where the conversation where the conversation goes. Uh, but I guess like the first place we should start is, you know, tell us a little bit about you. And um, and I'm actually curious to find out, you know, like what got you interested in attending births and supporting births and all of that fun stuff. So away, away you go. Amazing. Okay. So, um, I, right after I finished school, so I studied uh, languages at Laurier, I decided to move away and I moved to Peru. And so I spent, uh, five and a half years in South America, which was really incredible. And I got to try on a lot of different hats when I was there. So somehow I ended up, um, both teaching at private schools and also becoming a yoga teacher, which was very left field for me. Um, but thankfully, I, that's kind of where I ended up. And then when I was in Venezuela, for my last few years there, I opened up a yoga studio, which was such a dream come true. And, but I had so many pregnant clients come through. And a lot of people were, there was no prenatal yoga options. They had heard that it was so great for pregnancy and labor. Um, and even some of them said, I hear that the babies are really calm with people who do prenatal yoga. So they really encouraged me to um, allow them into my hot, my hot yoga classes, which I wasn't necessarily comfortable with. Um, so I ended up running a prenatal series. And, um, and I, from then, I just wanted to know everything I could about prenatal uh, yoga. So I went out west to Vancouver um, to study prenatal yoga with Teresa Campbell, who is um, the owner of La Lupa Via. She's amazing. And while I was there, I met a doula. And I was like, I can't, A, I can't believe this is a job. This is amazing. And B, it seems like they are able to do what I am trying to do with prenatal yoga. So if you go online, you read that, you know, prenatal yoga can make you have an, you know, it, it helps with pain coping. It helps with having an easier, faster birth. It helps somebody be more present and centered. And I don't necessarily know that prenatal can, yoga can do that. But I, but hearing this doula talk about what she does, I just thought that this is what I'm trying to be for someone in the yoga room. And if I can be this person for them the day of their birth, this would be amazing. And I think people would have really great experiences. So I, I decided that I was going to be a doula and I haven't looked back. I studied and, and went to, I, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I studied at Pacific Rim College out in Victoria 
which is amazing. It's a, th a three-month full-time program, um, and you have to go to some births with preceptor, which I did, and yeah, and it's just been a, an amazing journey of, of going to birth since then. Okay. There's a couple things here. So you and I, you know, we know each other, but uh, um, I had no idea that you like went down to South America. And so I'm like really curious, um, I guess a little bit about like what, why South America? Um, yeah. Like, was it planned or is it just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. It was totally not planned. So um, I recently, I just turned 30. I was telling you, I just had my birthday. Um, so I've been reflecting on the last 10 years and I really couldn't have designed things to turn out this amazing. And I think it's because I took a lot of unknown jumps. So there was no plan to go to South America. I just had a friend of a friend who was down there and she was working and she hated it. And they would only release her from her contract if she found somebody to replace her. So she was teaching English to adults in the evening and she just hated the town. She hated the work. She didn't like it. So I, so she asked me, she's like, would you come down here and do this and take my place? And I was like, okay, why not? <laughs> so I hopped on a plane, um, you know, a couple weeks later and, and that's how I got there. Oh my God. I imagine that that must've been such an amazing um, experience. I mean, some culture shock, I'm sure. Um, but you know, like just a lot of different perspective. I don't know. I, I, I will say I have a bias to, you know, um, like South America and Central America, like we're leaving for Costa Rica. Like I can't wait to go and like just, and I don't know how it is in Peru and Venezuela cause I haven't been there, but just the lifestyle of like slowing down um, and taking siestas and like, yeah, there's just something really, I, I feel, um, healing and relaxing and uplifting being, you know, in a, in a different country where it's obviously warm as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I imagine that just would have been so cool. It was so cool. And I'm, and I, and I am thankful that I got to spend that much time there because I really also think it shaped me as a young person, right? So I spent the majority of my 20s in South America. Um, and I came back, you know, I, I brought a lot of that with me. So, in, you know, when you walk into a room, you would acknowledge everybody and you hug them and you give them a kiss on the cheek. And you're just, there's just the warmth that comes with that. And they're so family and friend oriented and, and no man lets, you know, gets left behind and, and it's such a beautiful way of living. And I've been able to bring that um, home with me. And I do hope that that warmth is something that I am able to keep with me and that I'm able to offer others, um, you know, pregnant or not pregnant, um, but that they have a big sense of community and they have a big sense of support um, that they want to give and offer others and they're able to receive. And yeah, it was, it, it shaped me and I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm forever grateful for sure. Yeah. And, and here I am like, you know, we, we talk with my spouse and like, okay, you know, it'd be really great if we could send our daughter to school for like one year in Costa Rica, um, oh. just to give her a different perspective. Um, because 
okay, I'm sure there are areas and I'm sure there are people who are, you know, sort of very materialistic and, you know, but aside, like the community that like we travel to and we go to, um, seems very family, very community, um, simple yet joyful, you know, like being able to like walk up and down, you know, the beach, uh, you know, sunrise before school starts. Um, just seeing a different way of living um, and having that different perspective. Like that's one of our, you know, like we would love to be able to offer her that um, so that she can experience these different things. Because I, I really do think that that allows for a broadening of perspectives and a broadening of mindset and, you know, vision. So yeah, I, I can appreciate um, how that would have shaped. I really, really, really hope you send her. <laughs> I hope you get to go too. That would be even more fun. Well, I really I, hope that she gets the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll probably have to take, you know, take turns, but I mean, like, you know, if, if all things aligned in the universe and, you know, the, maybe this is my calling to, you know, to whomever's listening out there, um, you know, if, if the stars could align for us to provide her that experience as well as us have that experience of, you know, being there and supporting her, um, through that experience, it'd be super amazing. Oh, that is, I am, yeah, that gives me chills. That's incredible. What a, what an amazing, even the, even the desire to give that to her is such a gift. Mm. So, you know, she'll, she'll get there, you know, whether it's now or, or later, um, and to have your, you know, the support and the blessing of your family is, is, is I think a, an extra push that the universe is definitely taking into account. Absolutely. I hope it's listening. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I digress. I digress. Okay. So, um, and so I have one more question from your story, which is you yeah. did your training in BC. And I'm a little curious about the training because it sounds a little different um, than the typical doula training that I'm sort of familiar with. Um, so you were actually like for three months you know, doing training and you were attending births like with some, with an experienced person. And tell me more about that because I don't think that's particularly the way it's done here. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just curious as to the, you know, it, it just sounded more intensive training out in BC. So maybe you can comment on yeah. that. Yeah, so I had met uh, Michelle McLean, who is a doula out of Vancouver, and she's the head teacher of this program at Civic Rim. So you're right, the typical like classic doula program, um, which is again like it's still it's all quite amazing, um, is like a, you know three days in person with somebody and going over you know what does a doula do. Um, and this one, yeah, so we start in September, we end in December. So it's kind of like a one semester program. And we get to, so it's 270 hours in person. And we have a variety of teachers. And we go over things like doula ethics. We go over things um, like homeopathy. Um, we have a really, really amazing anatomy and physiology course that we have to do. Um, we get to do family support, herbal medicine, Tai Chi, and um, we had a business skills class, uh, a yoga therapy class, acupressure, and it 
so it was a really great way to slowly integrate all of that information. So, you know, Thursday to Sunday, every day we were in class, a group of us, um, every week for that, for that whole period. So it was a great chance to kind of, um, you know, we would have one class and then, this, you know, the next part would be in a couple of weeks. So we were really able to practice um, the things that we were learning. And um, if we were able to go to birth while we were there, we were integrating that for um, that experience. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was a totally slow, again, going back to this kind of like my Latin way of doing things, like it's a very slow, intimate way to learn. Uh, and part of that was just for me, because I don't have any children of my own. I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that I was as best prepared as I could be to support the families who felt that um, I was the person that they connected best with as their doula. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it obviously sounds like um, more in depth with different tools and comfort measures that, you know, doulas can provide um, the birthing person throughout the experience. So, you know, like acupressure, um, I'm not certain that that is covered in depth um, in other doula programs, but it sounds like in this one that they've really integrated um, a variety of different tools and techniques that you can then utilize um, in your care. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's, uh, it's a huge commitment, right? It's, it's not, um, and like you said, it's not better or worse. And for some people taking four months off their daily life, you know, away from their families or their responsibilities isn't um, necessarily an option. So I do feel uh, really blessed and grateful that I was able to, to take that time to, to do that work so that I could uh, do this work back in Toronto. Amazing. Okay. So let's dive into... Um, let's dive into birth plans because it's certainly we're like it's a term that people have heard um, whether they're working with somebody or you know do it yourself um, researching it online. I really want to kind of dive into um, you know dive into this topic. So I figure probably the first the first place to start would be can you tell the audience like what a birth plan is. Yeah, so typically a birth plan is a written document that a birther and their, a, typically a birther and their birth partner um, have sat down together and they have written out a bunch of things that are important to them um, during labor and sometimes in the moments after labor. Um, so it's, typically like a template that you would um, that you would check boxes and say yes to this, no to this, or um, I would prefer this over this. So um, these are birth plans are typically, yeah, so you might find them in a book. Um, people often find them online and they'll just kind of print out the template and then go through and check the things. And then that's what their birth plan is. Some of the hospitals here in Toronto actually give a birth plan to their birthers. So um, I believe Mount Sinai, they have their own birth plan that they give people and they ask to fill out like who will be there um, and, and do you plan on using an epidural and some questions like that. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, birth plan is, is, yeah, what would I like and what, what do I think is a yes and what do I think is a no? 
Right. So what are some so what are some things that might show up in a birth plan? Just generally speaking, and we can then um, dive a little bit deeper into that, you know, afterwards. But you've already kind of brought up a couple things like, you know, who's going to be there? Do you want an epidural? What other things might show up? Um, so in, in the more um, medically minded birth plans, it's going to be things kind of just structurally. So who's going to be there? Um, is somebody open to an epidural? Um, you know, sometimes there's even a box that says like avoid forceps if, if desired, things like that. Um, and kind of just what things do you want done to you or not done to you? Other birth plans are going to have a section for comfort techniques. So a bunch of check boxes and some might just be like massage, um, hot and cold. It might be um, use movement. It might be use a birth ball and, and just listing off things that somebody could use during labor um, to help them feel better. Other things on the birth plan might be um, like environmental. So I plan on using a music during labor. I'd like there to be electric candles. I want my partner to be present at all times. Um, and so those are the things that somebody will, will classically find on a, on a birth plan. Okay, perfect. I just figured, yeah. you know, like some people might not be sort of knowing what, uh, what goes into that. Um, so it's always great to have a plan, but yeah. Oh, and not, okay. Maybe not, but, but. What makes a birth plan successful? And where does doing what is best fit into a birth plan? Because we can plan things, um, but as life is a great teacher, you can plan, but it sometimes has its own ideas about how things are going to go. So, you know, I worry sometimes that, you know, the birther and their partner have this, like, this is how it has to be. And if it's not that, then there, there may be disappointment. And so how do we plan but not feel disappointed if we have to make decisions about what's best in that moment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think... A, a birth plan, so classically, I think a birth plan was meant um, so that the birthing family could really get back a little bit of, of the autonomy and decision-making and agency in the birth experience. So it would, what makes a birth plan successful is when somebody, a family can use it to figure out what they want. And they can share it with their care provider so that they know that their care provider has their back and will be able to um, help them honor those things that they're looking for. And a birth plan, you know, is also successful when a family is able to use it to help them make decisions throughout labor, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. So often things do come up that maybe. Um, wasn't on the birth plan, and then a family is going to have to make a decision. 
But unfortunately, what has now happened is that the birth plan turned into a way for a birther to feel like they were going to have control over this, over how their birth went. Um, and unfortunately, like you, like you said, um, that's not the way that it really works. So a birth plan doesn't give you control over the outcome. Um, and therefore, there's been a bit of a pushback with the birth plan because some people are saying it's setting me up for failure because the chances of me getting everything that I want is slim to none because it's such a surprise and something will come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's, yeah. that, that's the piece that I, I, I sort of worry about, um, you know, because as I'm helping, you know, the birther prepare for their birth and, and um, their late upcoming labor, you know, I'm always talking about, you know, here are things that we're going to, that we're going to work on to try to optimize the experience. Um, but I, we cannot control all the variables. Right. Um, but what I want them to feel, I want them to feel like they've been an active participant Mm-hmm. in the process leading up to like even with a birth plan it's 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 a moving piece it's a moving plan that i feel like i want them to be active participants throughout the decision making process versus um you know feeling like they could have done something more or i i just don't want them having like necessarily regrets about what they could or could not have done because we can't anticipate everything. I just want people to feel like, okay, you know, I'm working on it. I'm doing the things that I can do to make the birth as, you know, optimal as I can. And I'm ready to take on whatever the birth is going to look like. I want them to feel confident in their ability to handle whatever is going to be put their way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I, I definitely, um, I, I mean, I go to a lot of births and I see that birthers and their families, I mean, they're in a, they're in a quite vulnerable, um, not weak. They're not, I'm not using vulnerable in a, in a, in a sense of weakness, but they're in a very vulnerable state because this is a moment that they've been waiting months for. And, you know, they, you know, there's, there's, it feels like there's a lot at stake and I could, um, and so I'm, I'm very sensitive to, to that because it's something that's very important to them, um, that there are certain things that they, that they really, that they really want and are important to them. But of course, you know, it always goes back to, well, you know, healthy baby is the most important and a good birth plan never puts the health or the safety of a baby or a birther at risk ever. That's just not an option. Yeah. So, um, I, and I think if, if families and care providers could come at a birth plan from that angle is, you know, the first part, the first question of a, of a, of the birth plan should be, or the sentence should be, if my, if my baby and I are fine, this is my preference. This is what I want. So if, if something isn't, isn't right with baby or mom, if we're concerned, if there's any worry, then I understand that a preference would come off of the table for sure. Um, so I think I'm coming, I try to come at birth plans a little bit more, um, understanding that if, and when something is wrong, there really isn't an option, right. And the birth plan then kind of goes, um, you know, isn't maybe necessarily followed to a T, but 
that's kind of the pressure and problem with these birth plans that are just check marks. It's kind of like, well, I checked that I wanted, you know, to push spontaneously, but I didn't because I had an epidural, so therefore I failed. So right. I don't even want to check it because I don't want, I don't want to feel like I failed. Yeah. And that's an also kind of a sticky way to go towards birth because if you're, you know, if there's a fear to try because there's a fear that it won't work out, that's not necessarily, you know, the kind of way that we would encourage anybody to approach anything else that they were trying to do. Um, you know, whether it be get a university degree or whether it be, you know, resolve a conflict with somebody that's important to us or, you know, baking a cake. It's not that we tell people um, that, you know, well, don't, don't hope too much. Don't try too hard because it might not turn out, right? We, we say, do your best you know, kind of have your vision and go for it. And, and wherever you land at, like wherever you land, like we're going to have your back and we can make it feel good. And you in giving your best is in, and feeling your best is really what matters. Yeah. And I think that's the, the important piece to, you know, I think the, I think the education around making those decisions, like, you know, having conversations about the decisions, you know, so that it's an open discussion about it. And then, you know, kind of managing some of the expectations. Um, and, and, you know, we just, we don't want people feeling like they're a failure because they had a plan and it didn't go as planned. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, And then the other piece that I, that I feel like I have to mention, um, is, is when it comes to what's doing what's best is that I also, um, you know, sometimes the question is, who is this best for? So there are some things that come up during labor um, where it might not actually be the best for a birther, but it's what their care provider would prefer or what their care provider would, would ideally have them do. So distinguishing moments like that during birth can also be quite pivotal. Um, and it doesn't really matter whether the birther does you know, the thing or not, it just matters that it's consensual and that they feel like they had a choice and that they feel like, you know, they, they, um, yeah, that they had the option to or not rather than being told to. Right. Right. Like, so asking, you know, who is this best for, you know, like if it's, you know, for baby, like knowing the, um, risks and benefits, right. I mean, there's risks and benefits to everything in life. Um, but, you know, in that moment, the benefit of doing X is better than the risks associated if I don't, right? right. Um, yeah. But I think it just, it comes down to that education, that knowledge, and that consent piece. Um, and I think that's and, the important part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you and I talked about an unbirth plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to skip uh, my next question. Maybe I'll like loop back to it, but yeah. you know, let's talk about your unbirth plan. Okay. What does that look so, like? So I, you know, for the, for the beginning of my doula career, I was using birth plans um, that I had found these like, check mark ones, which was, which was great. Um, so I, you know, families would go through and they would choose like for pain relief you know, I want acupressure, I want massage, and they were able to to pick all of these things. But I was finding that families 
um, didn't know, like they, they know they, they knew they wanted it, but they actually didn't know when to use it or what to do. So that was one piece with the unbirth plan is kind of, um, you know, no check marks. It's actually kind of, uh, well, there are check marks, but rather than I want massage, the check mark is my birth partner knows where I'd like to be massaged and what massage techniques um, are common during labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, one of them is oh, acupressure, right? People always want acupressure, um, but they don't even know where the points are. So there's no point, and if you have a birth plan, picking something if if there's there's no if they don't know how to get it or how to or how to use it. So my unbirth plan goes um, backwards and asks rather than I want this or I don't want this, it asks, do I understand what this is, and do I understand the importance of this as it relates to my labor unfolding. So one of the questions that I have on my unbirth plan is about like cervical dilation, right? And getting cervical checks. So um, I ask, you know, people about when they plan on consenting to cervical checks. Because it's something that if they think about, it actually could affect that their weight, that their, the way their labor unfolds. Um, but they might not think that they even had a choice to, to choose when or if they had one. Right. Um, you know, I ask questions like, do you know what effacement of your cervix is? And, and it's not necessarily because I want them to say like, oh no, I don't know. So I don't know anything. It's kind of like, I don't know what this is, but I probably should if it's on my birth plan. So it's just full of things that, um, hopefully will give, well, not hopefully it gives absolutely the families that I work with, um, a lot more agency over their birth because with this unbirth plan everybody leaves with having an empowered experience even if the outcome wasn't what they would have wanted well just simple question like just those two questions alone you know i'm sitting and thinking to myself like when I was going through, and I mean, I had amazing midwives, you know, supporting me, um, but I would have not known what cervical effacement meant, you know, and what, you know, what does that mean? And how does that apply to me? Um, You know, cervical checks. I mean, again, you know, how many do you need to have and how often do you need to have them? And, you know, that's a legitimate question. And there's women who, you know, who are, who are fearful of that. Um, you yeah. know, how many times are they going to be checking? And I mean, for women who might um, have um, some troubles with penetration, um, that's a very fearful thing for them, right? Like they've managed to work through and rehabilitate so that they can, you know, actually do the process of making a baby. Um, but it's still kind of a very stressful thing for them to have those checks. And, and so I think, you know, asking the question opens up a discussion and I think it's the education piece, right? Like, I don't know what this is. So therefore I feel like I don't have any choice because if you don't understand something, you're just kind of like in the moment, especially during labor, like there's a lot of stuff going on. 
And, totally. you know, speaking from personal experience, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, so it's really hard in that moment to like really, you know, try to understand the terminology and like, what are you actually saying to me? And like, what's actually happening can be really challenging. But if you've had discussions about episiotomies, you've had discussions about forceps, you had a discussion about suction, you've had a discussion about, you know, cervical checks, you've had a discussion about, you know, cord clamping and skin to skin and breastfeeding. Like if you've had discussions around all of that, um, you're more likely, your, your brain at least has the information that when you're being asked about it, you're like, I know what you're, I know what they're talking about rather than scrambling in the brain going, I don't even know what they're saying to me. Um, so that can be very empowering. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think that was, that was supposed to be the essence of the birth plan was that somebody went in educated, knowing all their options and then created the birth plan. But I think what's happened is that people are creating the birth plan without necessarily having all of the information. So this is, this is really where I want people to be is, um, is looking through the information and then letting me know where they're at. Um, because so fetal monitoring is a really, really big one. Um, and so people who have gone into uh, natural physiological labor on their own, um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, if A, B, and C happen, then there's no need for continuous monitoring. But upon arrival at the hospital, they might tell the birther, you know, we would like you to be on the monitor. And then the family might say, well, why? And they want to, they say, well, we want to make sure that baby's okay. And that sounds scary. Like, of course, I want to make sure my baby's okay. So yes, put me on the monitor. But a family who's done the, you know, the, the research in the end and, and knows the information might be able to make a different decision that actually 100% could impact the rest of the way that their labor unfolds. Well, I, I think the important question in that, you know, once you sort of know the information, then the question um, isn't about, do I want to know, do I, or do I not want to know if my baby's okay? Of course I do. The question becomes, okay. Um, I think it becomes, you know, is there any evidence to suggest that my baby is not okay? Right? Like, and then it becomes, okay, well, are you experiencing this? Are you feeling any of this? Have you had any of this? And then it's kind of going down the checklist of saying, okay, is there any feasible evidence to suggest that I'm not okay and I should be on monitoring? Or the other, you know, or the other question that I was on a course at that I really, really liked was, um, is this an emergency? Right? Like, you know, they may want to do something medically, you know, and, and, you know, at being able to ask, is this an emergency? If they're, if they say no, then at that point, you, you know, you can say, okay, well, you know, what would be the benefit of doing X and what would be the risk if I said no for right now, but should this become an emergency, then I consent to have this. Right. Right. And I think, and, and, um, the, the piece of it is that those, 
unfortunately can be, you know, I wish that everybody was working with midwives. I mean, I love, I, I've worked with incredible OBs and my goodness, all those people are good at what they do. Um, but for, you know, there is a difference between going into, you know, a hospital with an OB or even having a midwife, right? So, you know, with a midwife, the conversations might feel different than when maybe with a nurse or OB who you haven't met before. So I also think it's a lot of, it's a lot of emotional labor for someone to do while they are in labor to have to slow down and advocate for themselves and ask these questions. So right. That's why I try to arm them with the information beforehand so mm-hmm. they can go in and, and ask those good questions, but be able to hear the answer quicker to make quicker answers. Well, well that's we what I was saying. Because yeah. Yeah. the information's already there, right? Like, so when, yeah. when the question's being asked, the brain isn't like kind of pinwheeling as it's like, yeah. you know, I'm waiting for the answer to load. Um, as the person's trying to figure out, do I know any of this information? Do I know what they're asking me? Do I have, you know, what, what previous experience has anybody told me about this before? It becomes more of, oh, okay, we've, we've talked about this. Okay. Then, you know, it's like more, it's more likely that they'll be able to draw the questions and the information out quicker if they have previous knowledge of it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely the, the, the hope. Um, and the other important piece, you know, of the unbirth plan is there are some things in here that I, I make sure to, to note that if someone does have a birth plan, the birth or is there a birth partner that that partner would have to help advocate for the birther. Mm-hmm. So um, because that's also another piece is that, um, you know, they, they might be busy and having a contraction, you know, and the, and, you know, a care provider might be going ahead and doing something that the birther is, isn't necessarily okay with, but isn't necessarily in, a, in, in, you know, the headspace to be able to say like, hold on, stop. Why is this happening? Right. Right. So everyone's kind of got to be on board, which is why a lot of people hire a doula to kind of, they hope that we will be able to slow down the things and let them know what's happening so that they can make different decisions. Um, but, you know, a birth partner also is, is a great person to do that, that work. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, is the birth plan just for the person who's birthing? Um, I think that the birth plan is definitely helpful for the partner um, because there's there's a lot more that they can do that they might not know about and that's kind of one thing that I'm that I encourage um, partners to look at with the birth plan is that you know often the you know the when I'm interviewing a family and they say you know whatever the birther wants is fine you know they're the one doing it they're the one making the decisions and, and again, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. So I try to include them in, that, in this birth plan as much as I can um, so that they are understanding what's happening through the process as well. Because often the birth partner is, is the co-parent of the, of the baby um, and they're becoming a parent too. So the entire process of birth um, is, is a massive transformation and a huge experience for both people. Um, So I do want both of them to feel as informed and engaged as possible, Um, especially because we know that, you know, the the way that the birth partner is feeling massively impacts the way the birther feels. Yeah. And even just like 
simple things like when you're going through comfort measures, like the birther might be like, I want you to massage me. I want you to do acupressure. I want you to do this, that, and the other, which is great. But if the partner is like, I don't know how to do any of this and I don't know when I'm supposed to do it. Like, I don't want to get this wrong. And so we don't want them feeling like they're a failure to the birther when they might not know. So having them involved and understanding, well, you know, like you said, you know, do you know when to use it? And like, do you know how to do it? Is that something you're okay with me stepping in? Like if it's acupressure and you want the doula to, to facilitate with that, like that's, you know, it's kind of navigating who's going to do what, when, and mm-hmm. first and foremost, is the partner capable of doing it? Like, you know, maybe they sprained their wrist, you know, totally. two weeks ago and they can't put any pressure through their thumb. That might be an important kind of discussion to have if the birther's like, oh, I want you to do acupressure and massage me. But the person's like, oh, but I have this thing here that like is not going to let me do that that way. Um, so having a plan or like alternative ideas might be really useful. Yeah. And, and as you said at the beginning, birth is so unpredictable. So if, you know, if labor has been, you know, if early labor has been happening, you know, for six hours, that's a different experience than if someone's having inner labor for 36 hours. So, right. you know, if, you know, part of the birth plan is that they have armed, you know, a list of 10 things that they're going to do during early labor. Um, and, you know, they're all supposed to be oxytocin producing, um, you know, empowering, exciting things. Um, but that it gives, it gives partners like concrete things to do right so it's like you know our birth plan says that in early labor we have to go to chapters and buy a book on um like chess because we're going to learn because we have six months of mat leave together I don't know something like that so then they're going to get in the car or they're going to get in the subway and they're going to go to chapters in early labor and they're going to find that book and bring it home so it can it can there's a lot of waiting in labor and there's a lot of unknowns and and things Nobody knows what's going to happen, but if you, if you don't, if you don't have a plan, then you are essentially just hoping for the best Yeah. and, and going into labor unprepared and hoping for the best. Um, it's an intense physical experience. It's an intense mental experience. It's an intense emotional experience, it's a spiritual experience. So to go into something that transformative and potent and powerful just hoping for the best you know is is it's i i see that those births kind of um lend to a certain experience and you know it's kind of like a 50 50 is just going to feel really good you know afterwards right i wanted to ask you because you and i sort of we briefly touched on this um but i wanted to talk about it here is Permission seekers mm-hmm. versus permission, uh, is, was it permission givers? Yeah. So, um, yeah, someone's, yeah. So someone's either a permission seeker or permission giver. Yeah. And Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So if you are, um, interested in labor or you are interested in, um, if you, someone, if whoever's listening is a birther or supporting someone who's a birther, I would highly recommend that they read the book. Um, it's called Give Birth Like a Feminist by Millie Hill. 
And so this idea comes from this book. Um, it's not necessarily a new idea, but she puts it into really, really good words and terms. But it's the idea that during labor, if you are a permission seeker, then you are asking for someone's permission and that you will be given a certain birth experience. And right. that means that there's no agency in how these things kind of turn out. Whereas, you know, if you were a permission giver, then the birther is in control of their body and they have, they're allowed to make decisions over their experience and they are the ones who are being served rather than their body just being a vessel that is being served by somebody else. And this kind of goes back to the whole like, you know, did your OB deliver your baby? No. Did your midwife deliver your baby? No. You delivered your baby and the OB and your midwife and your nurse were there to support you through that. Right. Exactly. So when I'm making this birth plan, I, I encourage people to imagine that they were actually giving birth at home. And uh-huh. even if even if they don't want to have a home birth, it's probably fine. But, you know, if we were at your home, your care provider would not walk into your room and say, I'm going to check your cervix now. They would walk into your room at an appropriate time. They would walk into your room and not turn all the lights on and take your sheets off your bed and tell you to open your legs. That's not what would happen. You know, they would ask you, may I, you know, they would explain to you, you know, it's been three hours. Um, I hear you making different sounds. I think there might be cervical change. Do you mind if I check your cervix? And that's, I think, a totally fair and reasonable and healthy way to be spoken to when you're birthing a baby. So um, I just encourage families that as they make their birth plan to not think of it as, you know, often the birth plan now has become, well, I'm going to do this if my care provider allows me to. Right. Everything that happens in the hospital is consensual. It's not that you're not allowed to go past the 40 weeks. You went to the hospital and you consented to the induction. They didn't make you do it. No one comes to your house. Right. So even just taking, I'm not, I'm not trying to take the power away from the obese. I'm trying to just empower somebody so that they can reframe all of their decisions as this is what I chose. And I chose this because I trust my care provider and this is what's going to make me feel good. And as long as people are coming into their birth plan and their birth experience and they feel like I chose this because of a conscious decision on my part and it makes me feel really good, then that's exactly, you know, what your birth plan can set you up for. And likely at that point, it's easier to deal with the risks or like, you know, the outcomes, the consequences of that decision, right? Like if, if I'm saying to my OB, yes, I'm choosing to allow you to do an episiotomy because X, Y, or Z, that the recovery period from that, it's like, okay, I chose, you know, I knew that I was going to need to deal with this and I can deal with this and it's okay. Cause like, I think, in the mind, it's like, okay, I chose to, to make this decision. I can, you know, I I can deal with, you know, X, Y, or Z afterwards. I think, you know, it can be traumatic for some people when they felt like they didn't have a choice and then, um, didn't know 
what would be the recovery or what would have to happen afterwards. And then that could be distressing um, to the person going through the experience. Massively, massively. And it's amazing. Um, so and even in that situation, like if an episiotomy is happening, it's often because it has to happen. You know, like it's, it's, I don't think anyone necessarily chooses to have one because they want one. Um, but you know, when your care provider asks you the question and you understand why it has to happen and you're okay with it happening because you understand it, you're right. It leads to an entirely different, um, experience, both, you know, memory wise and recovery wise in the postpartum period. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And even going back to what you're saying, like, you know, who the birth plan is for, the birth plan is also for the birther to share with other people because this birther might have never done this before. So it's also, you know, I, I, I encourage them to come at it from a beginner's, like they are a beginner at this. So what they might be trying to do with, and, you know, maybe they are wanting to go into labor on their own, but they want an epidural and they're trying to avoid, you know, a forceps or vacuum or episiotomy, then somebody like you would be an important person that they would connect with. Because, you know, having an epidural lends to certain risks and they accept those risks, which is totally amazing and perfect and no judgment. And I think it's incredible, but I would want them to make sure that they share those things with somebody like you because somebody like you can help them, um, you know, limit the chances of needing an instrumental delivery, but also increase their chances of having a really good recovery. Post-birth. Right, right. And, and I think um, not necessarily even just a pelvic floor physio, but I mean, obviously the, the person that's birthing, sharing it with the midwife, sharing it with the OB, um, because if there, if there are things that are unclear, right, that allows for the opportunity for clarity. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, and I think it opens up the, the, the door for the discussion. Um, and everybody sort of knows where things are at. Um, and then it becomes, Hey, I know this was kind of part of your plan, but you know, here's what's going on. Here's what we, what I think is best for us to do. Here are the risks. What are your thoughts? Yay. Nay. Like, right. So, um, so I think that's, really, really important. Um, and I'm just thinking to myself, uh, cause I was going to ask you some additional, uh, questions. Um, but I think we've gone really, really in depth with the birth plan. So I think I'm going to save the next, um, cause I wanted to talk about like the pain of birth. Um, yeah. but I think that in, uh, in order for us to really do that discussion justice, I'm going to say we, we're going to need to do a round two. I would love that. Um, I would be- love that. Because I think I want to not just talk about pain of birth. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to just go glazing over the surface because uh, then we could talk about different comfort measures and we can kind of get into some other pretty cool things. So um, I think we're going to do a part two if you're good Lovely. with doing a part two. <laughs> I would totally love that because I do. That is why people create a birth plan is to minimize birth pain. 
So right. I think that that makes a lot of and sense. And I, you know, when I wrote this question and I was like, oh, you know, we could just like t- chat about it and just seeing how wonderfully this discussion has unfolded in depth. Um, I feel like, okay, let's, let's save this and we're going to do, we're, we'll, we'll really go in depth with that. Um, what I do want to ask you is if somebody is listening right now and this is all resonating with them, maybe it's their first baby they're going to have, they're like, okay, I want to figure out what this doula thing is about. I, you know, I want to see about support and, you know, doing a unbirth plan as, as you call it, um, you know, where can people find you? So the best and easiest way typically is just through my website. So um, www.motherlover.ca. Um, you can also find me. I'm also um, on Instagram quite often. And my handle is mother with no vowels. So M-T-H-R lover. That's me, the mother lover. <laughs> Beautiful. And for anybody awesome. listening um, or maybe driving or whatever, if you go to the show notes in the description of the episode, the links uh, both to the Instagram handle and to the website will be there. So it'll be easy for you to um, click and uh, follow up with Janalee. Um So I'm going to take this moment to thank you for coming on the show to do version one. Um, and uh, just educating us more about uh, this process. It has been such a pleasure. I am forever grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me. Absolutely. And again, we'll, we'll, set, up a, we'll set up a part two. Uh, but for this moment, I'm also going to thank our listeners for, you know, subscribing to the podcast. And if you aren't subscribed, um, I encourage you to do so, so that you don't miss part two and um, so that you're up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. And uh, of course, you know, we're, we're doing the podcast for you. So if you have ideas, suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, and hopefully you got something out of today's discussion. So bye for now. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.